Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 146 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the upcoming season of Game of Thrones and how we're going to handle it now that they've officially announced that the show will be spoiling the end of the book series. And this will potentially involve spoilers for every episode of Game of Thrones and every volume of Song of Ice and Fire. We may also be discussing announcements about the TV show, the recent World of Ice and Fire book, and the sample chapters for the next book in the series, The Winds of Winter. So I am totally not kidding when I say that if you are at all concerned about spoilers, you might want to stop listening now. And I'm joined today by a veritable small council of guests. <laughs> so first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and also the series editor of Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. He's also edited more than 20 anthologies, and his latest books are the post-apocalyptic reprint anthology Wastelands 2, and the original anthology of military fantasy Operation Arcana. So, John, welcome back. Good to be here. I was going to try to do a little Peter Baelish voice, but I didn't think I could pull it off, so. <laughs> All right. Then next up, we've got Douglas Cohen, who you may remember from our panel on Season 4 of Game of Thrones in Episode 113, and our review of A Dance with Dragons in Episode 48. Together with John, he co-edited the anthology Oz Reimagined, New Tales from the Emerald City and Beyond, and later this year he'll be publishing Realms of Fantasy, A Retrospective, which collects detailed blog posts about every issue of Realms of Fantasy magazine, where he worked for six and a half years. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Inner Zone, Weird Tales, and Space and Time, and you can read his reviews of Game of Thrones on his blog at douglascohen.livejournal.com. So, Doug, welcome to the show. Good to be back, Dave. And also joining us today is Chris Savasco, who you may remember from our panel on science fiction conventions back in episode 57, and our panel on H.P. Lovecraft in episode 71. From 2003 to 2009, he was the editor of Paradox, the magazine of historical and speculative fiction, and his short fiction has appeared in Nightmare Magazine and Black Static as well as in the anthologies Shades of Blue and Gray, Ghosts of the Civil War, and Zombies, Shambling Through the Ages. He's also written a psychological thriller about Lady Godiva and a wartime resistance thriller set immediately after the Norman Conquest, both of which he's currently shopping around to agents. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And also joining us today for the very first time is our good friend Andrea Kale. She's a graduate of the Odyssey Writers' Workshop, and her short fiction has appeared in Writers of the Future, Volume 23, and Fantasy Magazine. She was the winner of the 2011 Zoetrope Screenwriting Competition, and she's also the former script supervisor for Late Night with Conan O'Brien. So, Andrea, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dave. Okay, so Chris and Andrea, we've never had you guys on before to talk about Game of Thrones. So first, I want you to just talk a little bit about your background as Song of Ice and Fire fans. Just um, how did you discover the books? How many times have you read them? Stuff like that. So, Chris, let's start with you. Just uh, how did you discover Song of Ice and Fire? Well, I mean, I don't remember exactly when I became aware of them, but I know that I first started reading them, uh, I guess, around 2006 or so, because I was going to be attending the, the Taos Toolbox Writers Workshop, where George R. R. Martin was going to be one of the guest instructors while I was there. And uh, I had been meaning to start reading them anyway. And so I wanted to read them before I, I met him. And so I've been reading the books, uh, you know, ever since then. So it's, I guess about 10 years ago, I started reading them. All right, cool. And Andrea? Um, I, you know, I had to think about it. I don't remember. I couldn't remember how um, 
I've discovered George R. R. Martin, I think it was years ago, it was a bartender uh, who told me you should be reading this. Um, so I just went out and bought it and I was completely hooked uh, right from the first. And um, I think it was, uh, he had written the first three um, and I just barreled right through them. Uh, and then when Odyssey, I was applying to, to Odyssey, um, he was the uh, writer in residence that year, and I just had to, had to go, and that's why I applied to Odyssey, and that's how I got into Odyssey. Wait, say, but is there anything more you can tell us about this bartender? That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I, honest to God, I don't remember. All I just remember was he was a bartender in this bar near me at like 10, 15 years ago. Was it that was it that bartender that Alfred Bester left his literary estate <laughs> to? That's, that's sure. true. <laughs> that just be kind of awesome um, if there's like this one bartender. He knows everything about science fiction. You know, he <laughs> controls the literary state of dead authors. You know, and just passes on wise advice to people who come God. in. He can he can just look in your eyes and tell you that you're you'd be a Song of Ice and Fire fan. You should read this. <laughs> well, I think I was talking to him about how I used to read a lot of. I, I think I stopped for reading some. Uh, uh, science fiction and fantasy for a couple of years and I must have been talking to him about it and he's like oh if you want to get back into it you should be reading this um, and that's how I recall it happening I don't know it was a bar you know <laughs> there was alcohol involved that's all I recall <laughs> <laughs> okay so wait so you said then you um, studied with George at Odyssey just yes. did, what, what sort of interactions did you have with him he he hung out with us constantly. He was a great guy. He's um and I think everybody knows this who is into the he, he's just he's very generous with the time. He he talks to everyone. He used to hang out with us. Um he's a you know, a great teacher. He's really interesting. He's got a lot to say. He worked for um many years in in uh Hollywood as a writer and um um so he's you know, he's a really interesting guy and very nice man. Very very generous um to young writers. Yeah, at I mean, he was only he was only there for one day at Taos Toolbox because uh, Connie Willis and, and uh, Walter John Williams were the main instructors. But, you know, all he really signed on to do was come and give us a little lecture, uh, you know, on that one day. But, you know, he, he took it upon himself to stay afterwards and hang out with us. He went out to dinner with us. And then he was literally like he put the place to sleep that night. Basically, he just yeah. hung out with us in the lounge yeah. chatting, you know, just informally until the wee wee small hours of the morning and you yeah. know, he certainly yeah. above and beyond the call of what he was, you know, required to do there. And actually we've never, I, I didn't know this until recently and we've never talked about this on the show, but Doug, you actually have a history with George R. R. Martin going back to 1996. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Oh, just, uh, I guess you could say I'm an old school fan just cause you know, I discovered the books back when they first came out in 96. I barreled through the first book in, you know, a few days and uh, I think it was like maybe a few months later, I was home on break from college and I was messing around online and I came to George's website and he was actually selling off first edition hardcovers of his book and he would Jeez. sign it and everything. And, you, you know, you said to send him like a check for like 25 or $30 or whatever. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. So, you know. <laughs> I sent him the check. I told him, you know, you can, if you can make this out to Douglas Cohen, that'd be great. And I figured, why not? I actually took the time to write him a letter. At this time, I hadn't 
done anything editorially. I had no uh, writing publications. I hadn't been to any writing workshops. I just knew that I loved this stuff and I wanted to be involved with it. And I thought George was like the most amazing author in the world after reading that book. And, you know, I got the book uh, back signed to me. And much to my amazement, he actually took the time to write out a whole letter to me on a typewriter, no less. Very old school. <laughs> and it was just really awesome. Dave, I think you actually read the letter when you we were hanging out the other week, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, not a lot of authors would take the time to do that. And the way he signed the book was great. Uh, Dear Douglas, may all your winters be short and your book's bestsellers. I mean, <laughs> what more can you ask for if you're a fan and an aspiring fantasy author? So, Doug, how much is the first edition of Game of Thrones worth huh. these days? Ah, wow. Is that with the signature or without? <laughs> Either or. Uh, I think the last time I saw it at a convention, it was selling for probably like five or six hundred dollars. Oh, but that really? was like, I think that was before the HBO series came along yeah. and it exploded. So I'm sure that if I wanted to, I can easily sell this off for over a thousand dollars these days. But to me, it's priceless. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd be surprised. That, I mean, five hundred dollars, that sounds low. That sounds really low. Really? Yeah, yeah no, totally. Oh, for, a, for a signed first edition? Yeah, oh I mean, the, I, I doubt that there were actually that many of the first edition actually even published because it wasn't like a huge book right away. No, you know? actually, the no, hardcover yeah. of the first edition didn't sell that well. It wasn't until yeah. the paperback came out that sales started taking off. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, well, the, the cover to the original first edition hardcover was kind of bland, doesn't really capture the eye. Mm -hmm. So they went with something a little more generic for lack of a better word for the paperback. And then, mm -hmm. you know, people started taking it off the shelves and word of mouth and, here we are. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so Chris, uh, could you just give us your uh, take on the TV show since we've never heard from you on this before? Just overall, what are your feelings about the HBO show? Uh, I mean, overall, I, I really love it. Uh, you know, I, I think in, inevitably, I think this is true with most things. It's, I, it's certainly not as good as the books, but, uh, you know, I actually think it's been handled quite well. I mean, I think they've made a few missteps i think that, you know hbo being hbo you know there, there's plenty of purely gratuitous erotica thrown into it <laughs> in the you truest think? sense in the truest sense of gratuitous i mean you know it's really just doesn't add anything except you know erotic spectacle so you know i mean i think a, a bit of that does a disservice to the underlying material and you know they they had a few serious stumbles with you know the the jamie cersei uh encounter you know but uh overall i i you know i think i i'm very impressed i think the casting has been almost uniformly pitch perfect um I, i'm actually amazed like how closely they they hewed to the images that i had in my mind's eye of how these most of the characters looked and acted and their mannerisms and all the rest of it um and the production values have been great i mean i i, I yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm very pleased with with how it's been been handled overall so far. Interestingly enough, I think my biggest complaints about the, this series so far have been the things that a lot of other people seem to have thought were fantastic. I, like, I actually thought that the um, the weakest parts of the TV show so far were some of the big set battle scenes. 
but you know, all the big battle sequences basically, because I feel like it's the one place where their um, budget constraints in terms of uh, having a cast of not being able to have a cast of tens of thousands shows through. And I think a lot of the, um, the battle sequences kind of, to me, look more like barroom brawls than, than <laughs> you know, than the huge yeah. sweeping epic battle sequences that I was envisioning in my mind. Um, but, you know, I think they, by focusing on some of the other things a little more intensely, um, like at King's Landing, you know, they, they, the behind the scenes stuff during that battle was phenomenal with, with Cersei mm-hmm. and the rest of them in the, in the Red Keep. And so, they, they, you know, they managed to get around it somehow. But I think I thought th- those are the only sort of weaker parts of the series to me. You're not you're you're going to make an exception for the battle on the at the wall, though, right? Like that. Like there's that one shot that has that one panning shot that goes around everything and is showing you and it's a continuous shot with no cuts. And it, well, it's just that's like one of the most amazing shots I've ever seen. I, it was beautifully shot. But again, I, I, I liked it for what it was. But I, I thought even there, you didn't get a sense of numbers because when they did show the overhead shot of the, the people coming at the wall, it looked like it was like six or seven giants and like maybe 30 other guys. Mm. Yeah, like I felt like you didn't really see what to me should have been, you know, tens of thousands of people running toward the wall and like a huge, you know, a huge, huge epic spectacle. Mm. Um, you know, I agree that the sort of way that they swept and panned and came in and out and showed that I thought it was really beautifully shot. But again, uh, just just the scale of it, I thought was a bit off. I, I agree with Chris that the budget has been a huge downside for the show in, in terms of doing this epic fantasy story. I actually thought the two battles, like the Battle of the Blackwater and the Battle at the Wall where the wildling attack, I thought that there was sort of some of the highlights of the show. But I totally hear what Chris is saying about if they had had more money, I think they mm-hmm. could have done them better. But actually, the Battle at the Wall was one of the two episodes that they just showed in IMAX. And mm-hmm. uh, Doug and I went and saw that in IMAX. And oh. I actually... I actually thought it was, a, I, I, when I watched that on my little laptop, I thought it was like, like it was all right. You know, I, I had no problems with it. But yeah. seeing it on, a, on the IMAX, it was really, really pretty impressive and, and yeah, it was a lot cool. more, a lot more moving. Mm. Yeah, that's not, that sounds, that's not, I'm so jealous. Like, that sounds so amazing to be able to see that on IMAX. Uh, Doug, do you want to, why don't you give your, like, your impressions of that IMAX thing we went to see? Odds. Uh, Pretty much like what you said, you know, like I've enjoyed the battle scenes, but like Chris says, you know, when you picture it in your mind as you're reading the books, uh, it's bigger, it's gorier, it's uh, more chaotic. Honestly, it's better. But, you know, I was always fine with it not being as good on the screen because going in, I understood this isn't a movie. They don't have the same budget. And even if it was a movie with the same budget, it's not going to be as good as when it's streaming straight from the page into your mind's eye. But, you know, when you see it on the IMAX screen and everything is so much bigger, it does give you an impression of there being more going on and that everything is just bigger, which adds to the epic feel of it. So, I mean... If they were going to put an episode on the IMAX screen, that was a good episode to put on the Battle at the Wall. And yeah, I understand like going into the next episode because we got to see two episodes going into episode 10. The season finale made sense, although I really would have loved to have seen the Mountain and the Viper on the Mm -hmm. IMAX screen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that or the Battle of the Blackwater would have been a, another good one for oh, the yeah. IMAX. I, I agree, episode 10 was pretty underwhelming, uh, a, an underwhelming episode to show on IMAX. And it just had the, the whole Shay thing, and I just hate everything about the way they handled Shay on the TV mm. show. So that, mm-hmm. that kind of dragged it down a little bit for me. But What uh, didn't you like about Shay? Like everything, like I just said, Andrea. Uh, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I no, just thought, Like what in particular? <laughs> uh, I, I thought that they they did too much to try to make her seem nice in a way that wasn't consistent with the book. And then it didn't make sense for her whole arc where she suddenly turns evil at the end. Yeah. And I just didn't think she was a good actor. Uh, I mean, you know, not, no single, no, no line that she delivered. Did I find even the slightest bit believable? I, I just didn't like anything about that whole, that whole part of the TV show. Tell us how you really feel. Dave. <laughs> um, but, but Andrew, why don't you tell us about how, what did you think of, of the TV show? Just overall thoughts so far. Well, I hadn't watched it at all up until a couple of weeks ago, and I just they're they're uh, playing it every Sunday. They're um, stripping the um, each season, so I just fell into watching it, and now I'm totally hooked. Um, but I'm also I haven't read the books in a long time, so I'm also coming to it almost as a new person, uh, mm-hmm. a new reader, or a new um, somebody who doesn't know the story. Because I remember the the major points, um, obviously. And all the major characters, but the little things here and there. And I'm sitting there watching, you know, like, is this was this from the book or, or is this something new that they're doing? Um, I, I think it's a fantastic, amazingly written. Um, the, the writing, as always, in HBO stuff is incredibly well done. Um, the acting, um, you know, I particularly love Tyrion was always my favorite character. And seeing him brought to life by Peter Dinklage is he's amazing. Hmm. Um, he's almost too good looking actually to play Tyrion. Oh, but yeah. That's, you know, <laughs> um, the thing, one of the things I didn't like is Sansa seems a little more, um, a little nicer than she is in the book. She's stupider and nastier in the book. Is this, is maybe that's my imagination? No, but... no, I, I, I'll, I'll endorse that. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Cause I'm also, I'm, you know, I'm also going, I'm also wondering whether, you know, is this something they've done? There are little things here and there that I'm, that I can't remember if that was in the book or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they've made pretty much everyone nicer in the book. I mean, or, uh, in the show. In the show, yeah. I mean, uh, the hound is a lot nicer in the show. Except for Joffrey. He's a much bigger prick in the <laughs> that's, show. That's true, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kid's great. That that, well, that actor was fantastic. Well, they added more gratuitous torture porn. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that was one of the big stuff. Actually, I agree with Chris yeah. about the the um, excessive amounts of boobage. Uh, yeah. Really, there's just too many. Just, <laughs> but whatever. Although to be to be fair, they do throw a lot of uh, cocks in there too. I have not seen one cock. What? Hodor? Not, where? Yeah. yeah, you get Hodor cock. <laughs> That one time, right? One, one cock shot. Yeah. I think Hoder, Hoder cock is so big, it counts as at least two normal cocks. <laughs> but it still doesn't add up to the amount of boobs that's going on. Yeah, no, no, it's totally Come not. Uh, it's not equitable whatsoever. I think there was some <laughs> Theon cock. Yeah. There was. Before they cut it off? <laughs> yeah. Well, speak, sp- speaking of the really good writing, I mean, John, you, you said we should check out this um, show, what, The Writer's Room? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That? Sure. Yeah. No. So, um, so the writer's room is a television show. I think it's on the Sundance channel or something, but you can watch it on Netflix. Uh, it's hosted by Jim Rash, who people may recognize he's the Dean from community. Um, and, uh, they just have different writers that, that, you know, that are in the writer's room on these various TV shows. And so one of them has, uh, is about the game of Thrones. And so they have DB Weiss and, um, uh, what's the other guy's name? 
Yeah, uh, David Benioff. Yeah, Benioff. That's it. Um, so they have those two uh, on to talk about it. And yeah, no, it's just it's really interesting. Um, I, I highly recommend anybody who likes the show check that episode out just because uh, it, it goes into their um, some of their motivations for making certain decisions on the show. And and um, and it's just it's just really interesting to hear how they tackled trying to adapt this massive thing mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, has so many uh, challenging aspects to it. And I like the fact, John, they said that they were both former dungeon masters, so that yeah. won them a lot of points with me. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. You know, I think I think actually, if you had any doubts about whether or not these two guys were the right guys to adapt the show, it's like you know that sort of would put you at ease. Um, like if you if you hadn't watched the show yet because you're like such a passionate fan of the books, like if you watch this and and, and you know you listen to them talk about it, you'd be like, oh no, these guys are totally into it and totally get it. You know, so yeah, I agree. They also said that when they met George to try to convince him to sell them the rights to do the show, that at the end yeah. of the interview, he said, so who is Jon Snow's mother? And they had to get that right in order to uh, to be able to do the show. Yeah, and I totally love that. That's like such a that's such a genius thing to do for on George's part. Like, uh... <laughs> but was that I, I don't think that's really that big of a mystery, is it? It is, is to some people. <laughs> really? I mean, if you go but online, I mean, but... you'll see all sorts of debates. Well, no, and but George I mean, also like throws in a cop, a couple of false leads here and there, and some of the subsequent books. So that leads to more debate. No, no, no. I think that's a genius question because it's not explicit in the books, and so you know how how well did you engage with the books will determine whether or not you're going to answer that question correctly. And so mm-hmm. if you just like read it like on the surface and you didn't really study it and you didn't really stop and think about it, you're not going to get that question correct. Um, like if you know, you're most Hollywood douchebags, but you know, like that, that's a question that like, you know, only somebody who really engaged with those books is going to actually even know how to begin to answer. That's a fair point. Just cause, uh, you know, there's a lot of surface stuff with when you're reading Game of Thrones and the other books, but there's also a lot of stuff on like other levels. Cause I remember like in the first season when you find out that, uh, these characters are gay and they're having an affair. Like people were flipping out online. Like, how could you do that? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, Mm -hmm. read the books and pay attention. It'd be perfectly obvious that these characters were gay to begin with. And they weren't changing anything on the HBO series. It's just a little bit more clear because it's a visual medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I totally missed it when I read the books. What? That they were, that that they were gay. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You're talking about Renly and... Uh, yeah, Renly and... Uh, the Knight of Flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever his name is, yeah. Oh, really? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, well, he, George never comes out and says it in the books, but, like, you know, there, there's... He plants a lot of clues. Mm-hmm. The one thing, though, John, in that uh, writer's room thing that did horrify me a little bit is that it's only the two of them writing all the scripts for all the shows. Mm-hmm. And then they say at one point, oh, we had, like, our assistant or something, and we promoted him so he's our third screenwriter now mm-hmm. and as kind of like geez you know for this given how great the source material is and how big a show this has now become i wonder if they should have had a couple more writers uh, yeah, <laughs> on yeah, this yeah. project right you know i mean well and and this one this one wasn't on the writer's room but like you know i just was reading this long uh essay by one of the writers on lost and it's like they had like a million writers working on that. I mean, maybe, which is maybe not. Look a how idea, well that I mean, turned out. <laughs> well, no, I know, but I mean, um, but it's just it's just interesting. It's like you know, yeah, like come on, guys, like you know, get a few more people in there. But um, yeah, I mean, they should have had Dave Kirtley or Doug Cohen writing those episodes. I mean, they know everything. That, that's about. really the point. I was. I yeah, was yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, if anybody so, knows everything about uh, about Game of Thrones, it's one of those two. But 
I, although I have to say, John, you know, I used to read the um, Song of Ice and Fire message boards for hours a day, but yeah. I really haven't done that since Feast for Crows came out. And uh-huh. I, in, in preparation for this episode, I went and looked up some of the fan theories and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, there are people who know this stuff a lot better than oh. I do at this point. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally, I'm, I'm out of the game. Uh, yeah. Uh, All right. Well, I mean, like Dave and I have like read these books like four or five times each. But if you go online, you're going to mm-hmm. find people that have read these books like 20 times over uh-huh. and yeah, yeah, yeah i just don't have the time for that but yeah i i still maintain that it's not burned into anyone's soul more than mine <laughs> <laughs> well let's see chris do you want to jump in here do you have any uh, anything you want to add to what we've been saying uh, uh with regard to and the, anything you want to show? talk about well i i don't want to get ahead of you if we're going to start to talk about how we're dealing with spoilers or not but i mean uh i, I think in terms of what we've just been discussing i don't know if i have anything well, yeah, so why don't you talk then about sort of looking ahead to season five? What are your feelings about season five? Well, I mean, when I first heard that they were definitely going to be getting ahead of the books, um, my initial gut reaction was right away. It was like, well, I, OK, I guess I'm done watching them then because, you know, I don't I don't really want to find out what happens before I actually can sit down and engage with the text. Um, but. And, and, and it's funny, if you had asked me in those first days after finding out, I, I would have said, no, 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 there's no way I'll change my mind. And I haven't officially changed my mind yet, but I got to say, the more I'm thinking about it and the more I'm realizing how much just aggravation it's going to bring to my life to try mm-hmm. to keep myself in a, in a bubble, yeah. it, it, I, I almost wonder if that's going to sour me to all things ice and fire more so than having a couple of spoilers is going to sour me to it because, you know, I mean, I've read the books more than once myself. And, you know, even though I know what's going to happen, the books are every bit, if not more so enjoyable the second time through. Um, So I'm not really as concerned about, you know, the, the plot points being spoiled. Um, I think it was a salon article or something. I can't remember the author's name. There was an article that kind of got more to what I was worried about, which was the idea of having my first experience with the material B where it's just between me and the page and George R. R. Martin's words. And so that I can formulate my own sort of internalization of that material before I then have HBO's foisted upon me, which brilliant as it may be is necessarily going to color the way that I then read it afterwards. And Mm -hmm. that was what I was really more concerned about. But I, the more I think about it, the, you know, I think that would be a greater concern if I was entirely unfamiliar with the world and characters. And yes, I'm sure there will be new characters introduced perhaps in, in this uh, next season, but for the most part, I've already formulated my internalized impressions of the world and the setting and the characters and uh, the situations where, to the point that I, I'm not so sure that I can really be spoiled anymore in that way. Uh, you know, so I, I'm actually on the fence now. I'm not. I'm not mm. entirely sure. I, I almost feel like, ah, oh, the hell with it. I, I I just can't be bothered to keep myself in a bubble, and I, I may just go ahead and watch it anyway at this point. Mm. See, does anyone strongly disagree with that? <laughs> oh, baby, <laughs> I've been waiting for that question. <laughs> um, I know that there is no way by the seven or the one true God or whatever God you want to mention that once this series catches up to the books, it's just impossible for me to keep reading. Uh, I guess part of it. Yes. Keep watching. I said reading. I guess part of it is because, you know, I've been there from the beginning reading the books since they first came out, but also 
these are my favorite books and epic fantasy is my favorite form of speculative literature. And right now this series is in my mind as close as you can get to a perfect epic. And I want to see what happens on the page before what happens, you know, that's how I want to experience it. And yeah, it's going to happen differently on the page than the HBO series, but there's going to be some stuff that happens in the HBO series that's more or less the same as the books. And I want to experience that surprise that George is such a master at delivering because I've read enough of this stuff over the years that I can sometimes figure out how one of these epics is ending on page 700 by the time I'm on page 200. George has me just like shaking my head in amazement. Like every 20 pages, there's just like another bombshell. And I, it's not going to be the same if I know it's coming, even if it's going to be a little different. So, you know, I'll take whatever measures are necessary (laughs) to avoid the spoilers once we reach that point of no return. And you've said, Doug, that basically you're going to not watch the each episode and you're going to ask people like Chris or whatever, or John, who went, who might go ahead and watch it. Are there any spoilers in this? And at the point where they say, yes, you're done with the show and you kind of go into lockdown anti-spoiler mode. Exactly. You know, um, I'll record the episode on my DVR and I'll log into Facebook after each episode's over and I'll say, hey, is it safe? If uh, Facebook tells me yes, and there's mm-hmm. enough people I'm friends with on Facebook who know how picky I am, so they'll know whether it's safe or not for me to watch. I'll keep watching. And if not, well, you know, I'll keep recording every episode so that when it's when I can watch them, they're all waiting for me. But I'll stop watching them, and then, you know, we go into lockdown mode. Uh, 48-hour social media blackouts after every episode. I'm going to start unfollowing <laughs> a bunch of sites because, frankly, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm not going to be spoiled, and I will mm. go to extremes. And if that makes me, you know a little odd because most people are saying, oh, what's the difference? I couldn't care less. That's just mm-hmm. how I feel about it. Oh, but uh, is it really possible to avoid spoilers, though? I mean, I've been thinking about yeah. this a lot. And I mean, like, I haven't watched The Walking Dead since season two. Mm. But like, I'm constantly getting news updates where it has Rick from The Walking Dead. So I know he's still alive, even in uh-huh. like, whatever season they're in now. Or like, even just walking through uh, Grand Central Station the other day, there's the poster of Tyrion standing there. Mm. Um, staring at a dragon in the sky. So if I hadn't, you know, if I were behind, I wouldn't, I would, oh, I'm Tyrion's still alive in season five, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the situation going, like, am I supposed to not walk through Grand Central Station or not, you know, go on the internet? Like, how is that even possible? Yeah. Well, uh, with the internet, like I said, I will unfollow a bunch of sites. Um, I would imagine most of the talk, there's always going to be talk, but most of the talk will be like in the first day or two after an episode. So if I'm just not on social media those first two days after a new episode, that makes it a little easier. Um, honestly, you're being really naive. This is going to get, you, you're going to get, it's going to get spoiled for you. It just is. Mm-hmm. You can't avoid it. Maybe, is, maybe it's inevitable that something gets spoiled for me, but I think you're underestimating to what lengths <laughs> I will go to. I will walk out on the middle of a conversation with friends if they start talking about Game of Thrones. <laughs> this is some George Costanza shit right here. But the thing is, but the thing is, Doug, you know, uh, I, I certainly rank Ice and Fire, uh, you know, among my top three favorite works of literature of, you know, of all time across genres. But 
you know, and it means a lot to me and I understand what you're saying. And I, I'm not the thing. The thing about spoilers is it's never the ones that you expect that are going to mm-hmm. get you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're right. Most of the talk online is going to be happening a day or two after the episode, but it's going to be three months later when you're looking not through a comment it. thread on something completely unrelated. And one of the comments is going to let let out the biggest spoiler ever just in yeah. passing, yeah. you know, not well, not one thing that's working in our favor, potentially is on his live journal recently, it was subtle, but something that George wrote seemed to indicate that, you know, the end of the next book isn't that far away. True. Uh, Dave, you even like messaged me on Facebook pointing that out. So, you know, if I could just hold on to that next book, then I don't have to play this neurotic (laughs) game with myself until next year. Yeah, 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 but this, but this time next year, here we, we're, you know, you're right back. In that <laughs> hey, place. next year is next year, sir. <laughs> yeah. it is a, it's a year from the, from the, I'm, I'm, think it's a year from when they submit it to when it get, actually hits the bookstores. You're going to wait that long? You're, I mean, oh, no, no, they're, go, they're going to rush out. No, yeah. Good. Oh, no. George, George's fast. book has like a six week turnaround time from no, when he hands it in. Six yeah. Weeks? Oh, yeah. George, yes. All right. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be out, like, instantly, basically, yeah. Like, yeah, that's going to be the fastest production schedule you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, publishing moves slowly, but not for books like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right. And just one last thing to follow up, Doug. You know, to me, what, what I think the clincher was for me, I think I would be 100% with you on this, but for one thing. And that, that is the fact that HBO and George R. R. Martin have now confirmed that the the series, to some extent, on TV is going to be going in different directions. Oh, yeah, I heard that. But the not knowing, am yeah, I yeah, missing yeah, a spoiler but, from the books? That would well, drive me insane. Yes, but but to, in some ways, I think that's what is going to make this all possible for me. Because it, by not knowing, is this actually from the books or is that not? I can trick myself into thinking none mm-hmm. of this is from the books, you know? Mm-hmm. And until I actually read the books... For all I know, nothing that I've seen on the show is actually the way that it turns out. And yeah, I, it's that's just, just a, a, as far as I'm concerned, that's just a game you're playing with yourself. Because oh, it's fine if it works for you. But for me, even mm-hmm. if I'm telling myself, well, I don't really know, in the back of my head, there's still that knowledge of, but it could go down like this. And you <laughs> might already know it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, you know, I mean, on, on the topic of not being able to avoid spoilers, I mean, that definitely is played a factor for me. Uh, and just the other day, uh, somebody I follow on Twitter just like cavalierly met, like like oh so happy that Joffrey finally got you know his just desserts whatever and it's like um, I, I mean he was actually even more explicit I mean he, he, I think he just actually literally said you know so glad to see Joffrey's dead you know um, and it's like dude what are you doing that's like huge major spoilers and uh, which I would never would have said on this episode except that Dave already said you know look spoilers ahoy um, <laughs> but you know and it's like and he's like oh well it's been a year I think the statute of limitations has passed I'm like dude mm-hmm. you just watched it now <laughs> like lots of other people are just gonna be watching it now what are you doing like, I mean, that's the sort of thing that, that would, like, drive me insane. Like, because, yeah, like Chris was saying, it's just going to ambush you out of nowhere. Um, and and this is a person, like, I mean, I'm actually really, really uh, uh, quick to unfollow people on Twitter and stuff. Like, if I see them post any kind of spoiler, even if it's a case like this where that's not a spoiler for me because I already saw it, I will unfollow that person. Like, and this, this is a case where I, I didn't feel like I could unfollow this person that, that said this, but... Uh, like I've unfollowed people for way less than that because it's like, <laughs> well, because I mean, you can't trust a person who's just going to throw out spoilers like that, even if it's something you're not interested in. It's like, well, if they're that cavalier about that, there's a good chance they're going to spoil something else for me, and I'd rather just not have to deal with the aggravation, you know? 
Um, so, you um, know, you can, you can navigate these waters somewhat, but, I mean, it's almost impossible to really avoid it. And uh, Well, I think Twitter is a death sentence for spoilers. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I just won't be on Twitter. That That's all yeah. there is to it. Yeah. Because, I mean, Twitter, by the time you read something, it's, you know, you read something in 30 seconds. So either you yeah. read it or you don't. There's no escaping spoilers on Twitter. So mm. Twitter, that's... We're on lockdown with Twitter. That, that does that just doesn't. Yeah, but what happen. about Facebook? Facebook is the same thing, frankly. Uh, I think I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit more room to play with Facebook. But again, like I said, for uh, Twitter, I think it's just different because people just put those quick little thoughts up. Facebook, you know, I think most people probably put their thoughts up uh, in a longer, meandering way. Not in and, the comment thread, though. Well. Mm. You know what, though? I I probably won't even read anything about mm-hmm. the comments if I see that the post is about Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's going to be a post that's not about Game of Thrones. Yeah, so yeah. Someone makes, makes a joke in the comment thread that spoils and, something. And, and it doesn't even have to be social media. It could just be like a conversation you're having with friends at yeah. work. And somebody you guys just are comes really pissing me off. <laughs> just or, just or pointing even, out the holes in your boat. That's all. Or even, even worse, you're just in a restaurant or something and somebody else in the yeah. table next to you is having a conversation. Or you're Which in a plane or something. Or you're on a plane <laughs> and you can't avoid it, you know? Then um, I'll turn around and be like, excuse me, I I don't know what happened. You <laughs> cannot spoil me. I will have no shame. Yeah, I want to. I want to get to like. I think I agree with Doug though that I don't. I actually thought as soon as season five started that we were all screwed. But having dug into a little bit more, I think I agree with Doug. We're kind of okay for the moment because I don't think there's going to be major spoilers in season five, right? I th- I think this is all is going to be like ninety percent material from uh, books five and uh, books four, four and five. five. And so assuming that book six comes out within the next, I don't know, next nine months, say, you know, we might be okay. I I might be able to avoid season Mm -hmm. five spoilers until after I've read this next book. Uh, It's just after that, you know, it's like, yeah, like Chris is saying, like somebody might die in the show and like, oh, and then I can wonder, oh, are they going to die in the books? And it doesn't matter that much. Uh, But it's the things like, yeah, like the big mysteries of the story, you know, like who's so-and-so's mother and like what are these monsters what's their goal and stuff like or that who's gonna live and die my god yeah but all of that may be different in the show as well right and the not knowing will drive me crazy no but chris they've said that the end of the show is gonna be basically the end of the books the end game like the the, the yeah. very end point they, but they can't deviate that far from his vision yeah. Of the ending. Well, they could, but they'd be bloody fools. No, but that's what I'm saying, though. Is that if, once the show gets to the end game, right, right, okay. That's the big problem for me. Not so much this upcoming season. You know, uh, the the other factor for me is that, um, you know, while like if it was ju- if it was just myself, uh, maybe I would try to avoid the spoilers and everything and, and and read the books first. But you know, I'm watching I'm watching the television show with my wife, and then we have friends over when we watch it. Um, and so it's like it's become a social thing where it's like you know we're watching it together, we're experiencing it together. You know, after the episode airs, you know, we we sit and talk about it or whatever. So and that's kind of, that's the kind of thing that doesn't really happen very much with books. I mean, like you know, I'm in this position where, you know, sure, like, if I just read the book, we could do a panel on it or whatever, and we could talk about it on Geek's Guide, and so that way I could actually, like, talk, but it's like, but I'm talking, that's talking about, like, okay, well, I spent a couple days reading the book or whatever, and that's been, you know, I don't know, maybe a week or whatever ago, you know, before we can do the panel, so it's not like, it's not like I just did it, whereas, like, if you watch a television show, like, we can watch it together, and then we could just stop and talk about it after the episode airs, you know, and so, 
Um, so that's a factor for me too. Um, well, well, that's another, that's another thing, John, like, like I'm, I've been hanging out with Doug a lot cause he just yeah. moved to Astoria and I'm thinking to myself, well, wait, if I watch the show, then I can't talk with Doug about <laughs> Game of Thrones anymore. Right. Mm-hmm, it's like, it's mm-hmm. like going to be like, I'm getting on some like faster than light ship and like flying <laughs> off into space. And like, we're going to be just in different worlds. Like. <laughs> so so yeah. clearly John needs to stop talking to his wife and friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only logical enemy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, speaking of the show sort of diverging from the books, um, that, that just makes me think of uh, other cases where there was a television show in parallel development um, uh, to a book series. And, and the thing that comes to mind is uh, Dexter, because that's a case where like the first episode... spoilers, spoilers. I'm not going to say anything about <laughs> I'm not going to say any spoilers about Dexter. Okay. Um, the first season mirrors the book basically exactly and then the television show goes off in a completely different direction to the extent that the i feel like the author couldn't actually deal with that like i mean because i think it was a case where uh the the television writers actually had a better vision for where that character should go than the than the original author did because i i I actually really like the television show whereas i i lost interest in the books um and so i can see that being like hugely hugely um uh or adding a huge amount of pressure to the author, like as if George R. R. Martin doesn't have enough pressure already, right? <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, I think the Dexter author basically, you know, I don't know, he kind of almost gave up, I, I think, because it's like he, it, it's like he couldn't keep it uh, just as like as a straight mystery anymore. He added, he, he added like supernatural elements to it, like in the third book, which seemed like weird and random. Uh, but I think it was just like, I have to distinguish this from the show. I've got to take it in some other direction that they're not doing because I can't compete with that. Um, I think George Martin will probably have less of an issue doing that, but um, but the pressure, though, is going to still be there. Well, I, I do wonder, though, John, if he's unhappy, because, I mean, he said in the past that he was hoping that they would turn books mm-hmm. four and five into two seasons or possibly even three seasons, mm-hmm. and they're, which would have given him a lot more time to write more books. And they're turning it yeah. into basically one season. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how he feels about that. Yeah. You know, I, and I don't understand why they are doing that, because it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, there is so much stuff that they could expand um or, I mean, not even expand, I mean, but just film and, and, you know, expand the seasons, I guess, you know, like turn, you know, multiple books into multiple seasons like they did with season three. Um, yeah, I, I would prefer that. Um, and you got to assume the top executives at HBO would love to uh, continue for yeah. as long as possible. Well, I mean, they've said they want like 10 seasons, right? Is what they would be. It would yeah, be ideal to them. So. Benny often Weiss keeps saying seven, seven, seven. Well, yeah, but the seven. problem is, I, I feel like that's a decision that they would have had to have made sooner because... All of a sudden now, if they dramatically slow the pace up, it's it's going it, to, I feel like it's going to be noticeable. I, I mean, I just don't understand, I, speaking of missteps that the show may have made, like, yeah, there's so much amazing material in the books that they decided to excise or combine or whatever, and then added in a bunch of extraneous stuff, which some of it was fine, some of it was, you know, mediocre, whatever. But like, yeah, I, I don't understand. They had to have foreseen this problem on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. why they didn't slow the pace up a little bit sooner. Well, actually, Chris, I read an article that it actually made a lot of sense of this because a lot of things in television, it's not artistic decisions. It's business driven. Yeah. And they had signed all the actors basically through season seven, I think, uh, or season six, maybe six. But anyway, they, they had to like like they had to have a plan to wrap up the whole thing in six seasons. And they had they had to use that as leverage over the actors, because if they guaranteed that they were going longer, the actors could basically ask for as much money as they wanted. Yeah, so they have to like be in a position to wrap it up at that point, and then they can negotiate with the actors. And then if once they sign all the actors, which they have now, then they can make it longer. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I actually have a question. I mean, I think I already know the answer to this is is no. But it, you know, what if anything? Is there anything that HBO could do at this point to alleviate this problem somewhat? And the the, the one possible solution that came to my mind, and and I don't think it would fully alleviate it, but would be something along the lines of like how AMC with Mad Men and, and Walking Dead have these really long mid-season hiatus, you mm-hmm. know? So just to slow the pace up a little, I mean, you know, between the first half and the second half of the, the last season of Mad Men, I feel like it was almost a year off or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, or, Breaking or Bad did that too, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and right there, you're basically doubling the amount of mm-hmm. time for George to finish writing the material. I mean, I, I can understand there must be business reasons either to do that or not to do that and all the rest of it. But uh, it seems like that might be a, a possible they, answer. They did that with Sopranos too on HBO for the last season. Uh, the only thing that's occurring to me is like the shows we're talking about, Sopranos, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, they all have seasons that are longer than 10 episodes. Yeah. So to like just feed the audience five episodes and then say, oh, we'll be back next year. I think yeah. there'd be blood in the streets. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess, I guess there's maybe not enough uh, money in the budget to do more than 10 uh, per season, you know, because I mean, a lot of, a lot of these shows... Not? Yeah, at this that? point, I think there probably is enough money in the budget. Well, I know you would think, right? But I mean, yeah, I mean, because... Um, a lot of HBO shows actually do have 13 episodes, not mm-hmm. just 10. So, I mean, it's not unreasonable to imagine that they could have 13. I was actually kind of surprised that they didn't just because it's like, you know, geez, like, I mean, all of these books are so huge that, like, if, I mean, you still have to cut out a ton, a ton of material just to get it down to 10 episodes. And so it's like, you know, uh, 13 wouldn't seem unreasonable. And I mean, of course, for, for book three, they actually ended up spending 20 episodes doing that, mm-hmm. that book because they broke it into two seasons. So, um, yeah, I mean that that does seem like a feasible uh, option, but I mean you got to think that they must have thought of that. Well, An- Andrea, you're a TV professional here. I'm yeah. curious for your perspective on this. Um, I would guess it's probably a money thing. Um, any any decision in television has to do with money, <laughs> um, and also. I think it might if they take really long breaks in between seasons, it might cool the momentum on the show. So they might be a little concerned about that. Um, I don't know. I've never worked in scripted television, so it's not my forte. I mean, it seems like they also have this huge problem with the kids growing up too fast. Mm. Anyway. Well, yeah, that happened right. to Bran, and uh, certainly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, let's talk about what we like. I think it would be fun just to speculate about what we do think is going to happen. Um, I mean, we've t- we talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but there have been some key clues and things that have come out. So, for example, there's the theory that Tyrion is secretly a Targaryen. Yeah. Is everyone familiar with this? Yes. Yeah. And so that got a little bit of support in the recent World of Ice and Fire book, where you can tell from the schedules and stuff that uh, Tyrion's mom was in the vicinity of Aerys Targaryen around the time that Tyrion was conceived. So, uh, yeah, there's just a little bit more support for that theory. Um, sorry, I was just having just watched all the... Um, episodes, you know, binging, binging through them. I remember from the books that I think it was in Karth, she goes through some kind of tunnel where she has like, she sees the visions of the future. Um, yeah, the, house, sorry, of the, Dan- the house of the Undying. Yeah, exactly. She, they didn't do that. They didn't cover that in the um, in the show. They didn't have the visions, no. Yeah, no, they didn't have the visions. Well, there were uh, many had different that visions. were reinvented. And you, they but, brought back Cal Drogo and stuff. Yeah, but they, that wasn't in the book. But, but there no, was, no, no, no. I mean, yeah. Um, but, sorry, where was I? There was something, and there was some kind of 
prophecy about her, there's one to love or one to, does anybody know what I'm talking about? About her, her future mates or The prince like that, that was promised are you talking about? No, it's like one for gold. You'll, you'll be betrayed three times, like one for gold, one for love, one for something or other. Right, right, right. Um, and wasn't like, either, there's supposed to, and there's three dragons, so there should be three riders. So one is her, the second one is John, and the third is Tyrion. Right, yeah, that's well, maybe the theory. I'm just, maybe actually this is your theory, <laughs> Dave. <laughs> maybe this is the theory you told me. And no, no, just... this is a widely held theory. And it actually it got, that, the, that, that theory actually got even more support um, because it's now been firmly established that you have to have Targaryen blood to ride right. a dragon. Uh, so yeah, that, that even, I guess, even further reinforces maybe the Tyrion as a secret Targaryen theory. Yeah. I, I never actually questioned it, so. Well, if we're talking about control of the dragons, then you also have to start talking about the dragon horn, because even if, the, it's, even if those are going to be your final three riders, you got to assume at some point, Whoever's uh, blowing the horn is going to control the dragon for at least a brief period of time. Right, but I, I, isn't it going to be like Euron Crow's eye is going to blow the horn and he's going to temporarily get control of the dragons and then that's not going to turn out well for him? I mean, that's what I'm assuming is going to happen. You got to wonder, though, is it going to be Euron uh, blowing the horn? Because uh, in book four, when like one of his crewmen blew the horn, that guy died a few days later. So I don't know if that's because there was no dragon present, but. That raises some questions right there. Like, how do you blow the horn if it kills you? I don't. Maybe it only kills we, the weak willed. You know, kind of like the maybe. Force. But one theory I have is that uh, when the dragon horn is blown and a dragon, they take control of a dragon. The way they're going to get the control back, I think, maybe Bran wargs into a dragon. Huh? Because. Uh, you know, there's all this stuff about Bran flying and he's the winged wolf. But uh, how cool would it be for Bran, this kid who, you know, wanted to, who dreamed about knights and dragons to actually be flying through a dragon? Yeah. yeah I can't believe that never even occurred to me that he could potentially warg into a dragon. Yeah. That's That would be amazing. Uh, have you guys seen all the cra- like totally crazy fan theories? There was just an, I should have sent it to you. There was an article like this top six crazy mm-hmm. What are they? theories. Okay, so there's the the Bran is a time traveler one. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so I don't think these are I don't think any of these are true, but but this one's kind of interesting. Okay, so you know, like when Bran uh, like mind melts with the heart tree, he kind of like is transported back through time and he sees different things. Mm-hmm. And so the theory is, oh well, maybe he transported himself back in time and worked into Jamie Lannister to throw Bran out the window so that all of this stuff would come to pass. <laughs> I'm gonna say no. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, you've heard the Roose Bolton is a vampire theory. <laughs> I'm going to say no. Next. <laughs> oh no, uh, what's this theory? Uh, that, I don't know. There's just various um, physical descriptions of Roose Bolton that make him sound kind of vampiric. Mm. And he also, like, why does he need all those skins? And so the theory, you know, because he's always flaying people, right? Mm-hmm. And so the theory is, well, maybe he flays people and then he wears their skins and stays young forever. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, that seems well, like that's out of nowhere. Yeah. There's all sorts of references to other Boltons, uh, you know, in the books and the World of Ice and Fires. So I, 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 I didn't double check this, but somebody was saying that actually Roos Bolton's fam- like genealogy is fairly vague compared to mm. all the other characters in the, in the series. Maybe mm-hmm. compared to the other characters, but it's not like there weren't other Boltons that were mentioned. Yeah, but maybe they were all him. 
Uh, I mean, maybe, but does George Martin strike you as the author that says, and he was a vampire all along? Yeah, yeah. It's never been established that that exists in this world. It's just a little weird. I don't know, George. He did write a novel about vampires. I mean, yeah, I that's true. In in the in no. the West Coast, in that no, in this no. world, no. No, 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 no. No, but see, but Andrea, see, uh, Westeros. It's like every idea that George R. R. Martin ever wrote in his entire career up to that point all put into this one world. So that's all I'm saying. And it seems I, I, a little late to be bringing up vampires. I'm no, 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 no. <laughs> I <laughs> prefaced. <laughs> did you miss the part where I prefaced that, that this by saying these are crazy fan theories? Okay. But, well, I'm, well, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm agreeing. That's crazy. They, they strike me less as theories as much as. Um, you know, just like fan fiction. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. It's like, it's like, like the start of a fan fiction story. It's yeah. like, wouldn't it be cool if this, you know? Yeah. Like... I'm, I'm just saying, if there were to be any truth to anything along those lines, I don't think it would ever, you would ever find out that it was the case. It would just mm-hmm. be like a little Easter egg. I that, see. Yeah, yeah. You know, fans might notice and you would never actually know for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I guess you're not going to want to hear about how Varus is a fish person. <laughs> well, no, that one a I want to hear. Yeah, there's a theory that Varish... Because, okay, this is true, though. There are deep ones in um, Song of Ice and Fire. That's 100% a fact. It's uh, in the World of Ice and Fire book. Or at least, well, at least the legend that there are are deep ones, you know, from H.P. Lovecraft Mm -hmm. in Westeros is in the World of Ice and Fire book. And some people in the world are described as having, like, webbed toes and stuff like that if they've, uh, you know, lived too close to the ocean. The Innsmouth look. Yeah, yeah. So so the idea is that Varus uh, is maybe one of these people. And I forget what the evidence for this is, but I remember one line is there's a part where Tyrion talks about throwing Varus into the ocean to punish him for something. And Varus says, you might be disappointed in the result. Hmm. So <laughs> That seems pretty weak. Weak evidence. Yeah. But, okay, next. <laughs> Okay, so I, I also just want to mention uh, this. This is an interesting spoiler thing. Okay, so you know there's a lot of speculation about who Cold Hands is? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so George donated a bunch of manuscripts to some library somewhere. And so some fans dug them out and looked at them. Hmm. And George's editor had written some notes throughout the manuscript. And there was a section with Cold Hands. And the editor wrote, is, I think this is such and such character. Am I right? Ah. And George had written a response. Ah, interesting. And I, interesting. And I, uh, I don't know what he said. I, I purposely stopped listening to the podcast <laughs> at that point. But that's just another thing, Doug. That's out there on the internet. People yeah. know well, this like secret yeah, I, information. I don't go digging though for for Game of Thrones theories, you know. So a lot of the stuff that people have uh, have their theories about, I have no notion of because I don't want to like have everything figured out for me in advance. If I'm talking about it with a few friends and you know we're exchanging ideas, that's one thing. But you know, some people, they want to, like, dissect the whole thing and figure out the whole thing uh, with, like, you know, with a group think tank. I'm not so big on that. Mm-hmm. But well, I do think that cold hands is... We've discussed theories before. Well, like I said, if it's just with a few friends, that's one thing. But I don't want to, like, go on, like, a message board and, like, talk with, like, 300 other people about, well, this guy is clearly that guy and this guy is clearly plotting to do this, etc. But I do think Coltans is Benjamin Stark. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I've always liked that. I've always liked that. Reasonable story, assumption. But, but I, I don't know. All right, well, I'm just, 
I'm just going to call, I think, my, my theory is that Sansa is going to end up on the Iron Throne. I'm mm-hmm. calling it. Because she's being trained as this master political mm-hmm. manipulator, right? I think she's going to get better at it than Littlefinger. She's going to do in Littlefinger and take the Iron Throne for herself. That's my prediction. Huh. Do you think she's going to end up on it temporarily or ultimately? Like, she's the one who's going to, at the end of the books, be on the throne. Well, I don't know. Actually, now that I'm thinking about this, like, I, I think that might have been a good thing to happen if the books were going to, if the series was going to nine books. But if he's actually planning to wrap it up in seven, Sansa's still going to be super young by the time the series is over. I think that's the big problem with the series is that he yeah. was intending to have this five year gap and all the yeah. kids were going to grow yeah. up. Mm-hmm. And now I think he's been forced into a position where he's going to have to end it with them all fairly young. So that kind of, I don't know, that, that puts limits on what the characters could have. It at least puts some slight plausibility limits on what the characters might, uh, what role they might achieve yeah. by the end of the series. Yeah, I think Sansa is an interesting idea because uh, largely because she is so much sort of in the background of, of what's happening uh, for what we've seen so far, mostly. Um, and, uh, you know, even even in her own storyline, she's kind of in the background for the most part. So um but like you know, like you say, she is sort of being trained to by by Littlefinger at this point, and so it's like that that, that would be interesting, uh, you know, sort of reversal to happen. And George was, is good at that. I was thinking that's probably going to be a sh- uh, someone from Dorne that's sitting on the Iron Throne, just because winter is coming. Dorne is the farthest away from winter. They haven't expended any of their forces yet, and they're about to get all these boosts from the east. Uh, and meanwhile, they're like biggest enemy. The Torrells are busy bleeding themselves dry, uh, you know, fighting on various fronts. They're about to get in with the Lannisters. And Dorne is they they kind of have some vengeance coming to them. You know, they, they've taken their lumps. So I was kind of thinking that it would probably be someone from Dorne, uh, maybe... Uh, what what's the princess's name? Uh, is it Elaine? Uh, Arianne. Arianne. I, w- I was thinking maybe she'd be on the Iron Throne. Uh, have you guys followed any of the stuff about the Sand Snakes as they'll be shown in season five? Only that there's fewer of them, right? Yeah, there's three of them as opposed to eight. Mm-hmm. But he's, he just, he says he has eight daughters, but there's only they're only featuring three. Is that correct? Yeah, I think though in the books, like there's only like three that are really like grown up. Maybe four. I. I I can't remember exactly. So they're just like focusing on the older ones, I guess, and playing them up, at least compared to how much they've featured in the book so far. It's interesting, actually, Doug. They're, as far as I can tell, they're not featuring any of the um, the um, the Ironborn characters, like the Victarian, Euron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, w- I was thinking about that. And, you know, they have to introduce all these Dornish characters in season five. But, you know, that makes you think, okay, they probably won't be introducing all these Ironborn in Season 5. But you know what? They still have Balin Greyjoy alive. And, you know, in the books, he died ages ago. And they did throw the three slugs into the fires in the show, indicating that Balin should die. So I was thinking maybe they're just going to bring the Ironborn around in Season 6. Yeah, I, I agree, Tuck. I think my, I, I think that they were going to... Like I said, they had to be ready for the season six contingency and the season, the 10 season contingency for wrapping up the show. And I think they made the decision to leave the Ironborn out if they needed to wrap it up in seven. And now that it's going to go longer, I think they might bring them back. You know, they might start introducing them in season six. 
it'd be really easy to introduce them later on. You don't really have to have them come into this mm-hmm. onto the scene the same time as the Dornish. Right. Uh, I'm also going to predict because I saw that I, I was looking at the cast list and they're bringing back Jake and Hag- the Jake and Hagar actor. Oh, so, so mm-hmm. I predict he's going to be the um, the guy in the House of Black and White. It's going to be him teaching Arya. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, I can't wait for that storyline to ha- start happening. Yeah. And I'm super looking forward to just seeing Alexander Siddig on the screen. I think he's always fun to watch. Who is he playing? Uh, what's his name? Hota, I think? No, no, no. He's playing... No, he's the... Oh, go ahead, Dave. Uh, he's playing o- Oberyn's older brother, who's kind of in, in charge. Um, oh, okay, cool. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's Dr. Bashir for any Deep Space Nine fans. Yeah, who I still always think of as Siddig El-Fadil, but... Right. Well, he had such a great name. I know. And then he went and changed it because, I don't know, Americans couldn't handle it or something. Yeah. <laughs> but he's awesome. I mean, I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. Yeah. Uh, they've also cast the High Sparrow, so he's going to be in the show uh, mm-hmm. this next season. Uh, what's the guy's name? It's something Price. He's a he's a reasonably well known actor. Uh, he was the bad guy in the James Bond movie, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, Jonathan Price. Jonathan Price. Oh, yeah. Jonathan oh. Price is great. Mm-hmm. I got a theory for you, Dave. Since you want us to like toss out theories for it out there, right. hit me. Um, okay. Um. This, I think this might be like a bombshell that George is getting to drop later in the mm-hmm. books uh, with Benjamin Stark. You know, like, okay, Benjamin Stark is part of the Night's Watch, but it occurred to me, I think when I was reading, like, book five at some point, we never learned why Benjamin Stark joined the Night's Watch. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone just kind of assumes, or at least George wants us to assume, oh, he did it as because he's one of these throwbacks where he sees it as, like, this honorable station. And I started thinking to myself, well, what if that isn't the reason? Because uh, the later books, you know, George starts like uh, letting us know that, you know, the Starks are not the perfect family that we all thought they were. So what if Benjamin Stark went to the wall because he was a criminal of some sort? Because it strikes me as a little odd that it actually hasn't been stated yet why Benjamin Stark join the night's watch and then uh in book five uh barristan selmy you know he's having all these reminiscences uh about you know uh lady ashara dane and he keeps talking and he keeps thinking about stark but he never said you know eddard stark in Mm. his mind when he's thinking this just stark stark Mm -hmm. stark and i think by default we're always supposed to think eddard stark and i think he's actually thinking there of Benjamin Stark. And I think like this tragedy that might've happened with Ashara Dane might've had to do with Benjamin Stark. And it might've been like uh, a crime of passion. Actually, that reminds me, Doug, there's another theory that I read recently. That's apparently a pretty popular fan theory that the others raised the wall. Have you heard this one? Hmm. No, that's, that goes against everything. I would. Yes. You, you know what I'm trying to say? My mind is blown. But please elaborate. Okay, so so the theory is like the wall is made out of ice, right? And mm-hmm. the others are creatures of ice. So, you know, it's not inconceivable that they may have been involved in creating it. And so the idea... It, okay, so you know there's the whole thing about the last hero and the yes. others were sweeping 
down in the long night, and the last hero somehow drove them back. And so this theory is is that the last hero didn't defeat them, but he forged a, a, a peace treaty with them, basically. And so the the wall was like a um, like part of the peace treaty was that okay, we get the north and you guys get the south, and here's this giant ice wall, and you can stand on it and you know make sure we don't come south. But that's the deal. We're going back up to our to the to the land of always winter. And that this treaty was broken by the wildlings who invaded the others' territory, uh, looking for the Horn of Joramun. Mm. And that once the treaty was broken, the that's when the others start their assaults, start moving south. And so the idea is that rather than the others being defeated at the end of the story, they're going to have to re reforge this uh, this peace treaty. It's an interesting theory, but. You know, just based on what I've seen about the others so far, they're not the kind of creatures that you can make a treaty with. So unless there's, like, more to them than these creatures that are basically just interested in cold darkness and, uh, you know, ripping out your entrails, it's hard for me to buy into that at this point. But, I mean, like I said, if there's more to the others, and I'm sure there is more, I I guess it's possible. I mean, because George has said that he hates dark lords and he hates villains who are entirely evil. And so that's kind of one thing that makes people think maybe there's not that the others are good exactly, but that they're at least they have more complex motives than just wanting to kill everything. Does anyone have any predictions for what the significance of what is it called? Like the Isle of Goats or whatever, where uh, the young Stark boy has been shipped off? The Isle of Skagos. Yeah. What what's what's up with that? I feel like that that's uh, being set up to be some sort of significant plot well, point. Davos is going to get him. Uh, is like what I inferred based on how his chapters ended. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I think Bran. I mean Rickon. I think his significance comes back to uh, the the line: "There must always be a Stark in Winterfell." Uh, because Bran is not coming back. He's mm. either going to stay north with the children when this is all said and done, or he's going to die because anyone is fair game to die in this. Uh, Rob is dead. Jon Snow is a Snow, not a you know, not a Stark, and and is also dead. It, <laughs> uh, well, temporarily. That, that, that's <laughs> a that's another yeah. conversation. Mm-hmm. So you know, who's the child that's carrying the Stark name? So, uh, so you basically just think that 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 island is sort of just a way station to hold as a holding pattern for him? Because I, I can't remember now because now it's been a couple of years since I've read the books. But I, I, there was something that gave me the idea that it was harboring some sort of secret that island itself that was going to come into play. And now I wish uh, I could remember. Was it the cannibals? I mean, I think there's supposed to be cannibals on that island. Yeah. Are there a lot of weirwood trees on that island? There are a lot of weirwood trees, and there was a vision that somebody had in book five of, like, a child. Basically, it was, like, a child, like, howling in front of, like, these trees. Uh, I think, like, when Davos finds Rickon, he's going to be, like, really reverted into a very primitive state. Because, like, the last time you saw Rickon, he was... Mm-hmm. He was so young, he was not coping at all. He was just, you know, he was having tantrums. I remember a line saying that he was almost feral and losing his um, uh, language abilities. Exactly. So, you know, they might have to, to, like, help bring him back. I mean, I'm sure Asha is still, you know, 
taking care of him, but I, I don't think everything is all as well in the world with Rickon, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with that kid's coping skills? He hasn't been through that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. So we're, uh, you know, we, we, we should start wrapping this up pretty soon. I guess any, uh, anyone have anything else they want to mention uh, before I start wrapping this up? A couple of things of interest, actually. Uh, just like a few days ago, like two days ago, actually, because uh, we were talking about how to avoid spoilers on Game of Thrones. And out of the blue, my brother actually emailed me this article that was on Gizmodo about how Google has patented a warning system to make <laughs> social media spoiler free. No way. Yeah, uh, That's actually well, an awesome idea. Yeah. It is an awesome <laughs> idea. Uh, the big question that was raised in the article is is this just going to apply to like Google Plus or is this going to mm -hmm. apply to all of social media? You know, because mm -hmm. you know if it's just Google Plus, that yeah, it's essentially useless. But if you can <laughs> make this for people, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but you know, if you could get this going on like Twitter and yeah. Facebook, Facebook and yeah. so on and so on, this could actually be very very useful in waging the good fight. Mm -hmm. So how does it work, Doug? Do, like. Did it say how what what what's the process that Um I mean I'm trying to pull up the article now. It was pretty brief overall. Yeah, I'm just imagining how it should work is just if you see somebody has tweeted a spoiler, you just kinda of highlight it and say, This is a spoiler for Game of Thrones, and then like it, it, it knows that. Like ev then everybody knows that and they can filter it out. Yeah, unfortunately somebody would have to see the spoiler in the first place to, you know, start the the chain that this might may may contain right. a spoiler. Or you happening. can mark your own if you you can mark your own. Uh, oh, true. Right, right, right. All right. I, I'll read. It's a short paragraph. I guess this is the key paragraph without getting into all the nitty gritty. Uh, well, it seems Google is working on it. A new Google patent spotted by courts details a new system that would keep track of your progress on whatever shows, books and movies you wish and block posts it thinks might contain spoilers. It doesn't completely obliterate the post, but instead blurs the content with a pop-up warning. Hmm. So it's sort of like clean reader. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. So, so since you actually just uh, quoted that, uh, why don't you say like you know where that article appeared and who wrote it and everything, so people can go look and read the whole thing if they want. Yeah. Well, like I said, it was it was on Gizmodo, mm -hmm. and uh, it looks like the author is Darren Orf O R F. Mm -hmm. So, and what's the name of the article? Google patented a warning system to make social media spoiler free. Nice. Well, let's hope that comes to pass. I was going to joke that that it's actually a brain implant that selectively erases your memory, uh, yeah. but uh, that's a story actually Jeremiah Tolbert wrote. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I was actually I was actually thinking about it's fu it's funny that you mentioned that though because I didn't actually see that article. But when we were talking about spoilers earlier, I was I was just thinking how like. I don't know about on Twitter, but uh, on Facebook, it seems like you could you could actually like, you know, just add an option that's like, hey, this this has potentially got a spoiler in it, and so like you know you could, and then you could have your your settings such that you'd be like, oh, like you know, you have a sliding scale, like how sensitive are you to spoilers? And it's like, don't ever show me spoilers ever, asshole! I will murder you. <laughs> you know, uh, all, all the way on the right. You know, it's like okay, so you can set it to that versus like, yeah, spoil me, I don't care, whatever. You know, all the way on the left. Um, but I mean, that that would actually be awesome. I'd love that. Um, yeah, because I mean, when Dave was talking about like uh, The Walking Dead, like I don't, I don't actually care about Walking Dead spoilers either. But 
but yeah, I, I see them all the time, and I'm like, I'm, I'm shocked at how cavalier people are about posing them. It's like, it's like, dude, it's on right now. Like, you know, we, we don't even have any chance to watch it over here on the West Coast yet. You know, um, those are the ones that really drive me crazy. It's like when when they when you don't even take time zones into account. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is about some shows. Like, but The Walking Dead, people cannot control themselves and just spoil, spoil, spoil uh, without any regard for anyone else's safety. See, Doug, did you have any other Game of Thrones things you wanted to mention? Uh, just, I was going to say, like, because I was so gung-ho earlier about, oh, if they spoil me, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I could imagine, you know, some viewer, listeners already thinking, well, they dropped some spoilers last season. How come you're still watching? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just really quickly, there were like two things, I guess, that could have made me stop watching. One was like when the other king, you know, touched the baby and it became like another uh, you know, basically I was like a deer in the headlights when that happened and it was like, holy shit, what the fuck? And otherwise I would have like turned off the TV. And at that point it's like, well, I already saw it, but now I'm on high alert going forward. Mm-hmm. So like, I let that one slide. And the other thing was like in the last episode for last season, when Jojen Reed died, mm-hmm. you know, that to me, that's like a huge spoiler. And normally it's the kind of thing where I'd be like, that's it. I'm done watching. Except. George planted a lot of clues in those books that Jojen was going to die. So I was already 100% sure that he was going to die. And, you know, the point that they killed him in the HBO series, he's still alive in the books. So it's like, you know, they're really not ruining anything for me. You know, it's not the manner of his death, uh, what else he still might do, because he could still do something important. They could just have someone else do it instead in the books. And you don't even know... You don't even know if someone dies in the show if they're going to die in the books. I mean, if you were just watching this, if you watched the show and then read the books, you would think that Gren was going to die in the Battle of the Wall. And then, mm. then he very true. But it's like when someone dies in the show that isn't in the books, it's, to me, the way my brain works, like, well, that is a potential spoiler now. And now I'm on high alert just because now it's more like, yes, anyone could die at any given time in the books. But if they're killing someone in the show, that signals to me, well, there's a higher probability now that this character is going to die in the books. And I might have just seen how they're going to die and why they're going to die. So, you know, that that's just how I interpret this stuff. And actually, George uh, said publicly that they're going to kill off major characters this season that don't mm-hmm. die in the books. Mm. Don't die at okay. all or don't die? Don't die at all, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. I heard that too. Um, actually, you know, uh, Dave, you mentioned how, you know, Jon Snow dies in, in book five. And, uh, I, this is, this is a, just a book question at this point, not a TV show question. But I mean, does anybody actually think that like Jon is actually legit dead, like forever? No, he's um, coming back as a Zora High. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I was going to say, it's like, it seemed pretty obvious that, I mean, that he has to, it's like, you know, how could, you know, you just end John's story, John's story there. But well, John, um, let's, let's, let's get Chris and Andrea's take sure. on this. Because the three of us talked about this the last time, but Chris, what's what's your take on this? Well, again, I think I had more a wider variety of ideas when I had when it was still something I freshly read. But I know one of the ideas I came up with was, I mean, I certainly don't think he's dead for good. I, I don't mm-hmm. think we've seen the last of him. But I, you know, one possibility is that he's going to be sort of brought back in the same way that what is it that the you know that the 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 red god brings Catelyn? people back. What's that? Like the way Catelyn's brought back? Yeah, yeah, basically like that. But, you know, in a less um, deteriorated yeah, state. state. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that we're less pudding like. 
So I, I'm just drawing a, a complete blank. But who's the guy that's the rebel leader that dies a million times? Yeah, Beric Dondarrion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think he's going to be, one possibility, he's going to be like another Beric Dondarrion sort of character, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, where, like, if you're meeting him for the first time, you would nothing would necessarily cue you in that he had previously been dead. I don't think he's going to be like a zombie mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, to me, that seemed like one of the more likely ways for it to go. But absolutely, I, I, I'm sure we, you know, mm-hmm. he's not gone. Yeah, I agree. I, I He's... I know they they love killing off major characters, but John's a little too mm-hmm. um, integral to the plot, to the main right. um, direction where the, of the story that it's going. That yeah, he, he's not gone. Mm-hmm. No, no. Nope. Does anyone think Catelyn's coming back in the in show? The sh- that's what I was just about to ask. Um, there's been a lot of talk about her. N- they're not bringing her back, which would really actually tick me off. <laughs> mm-hmm. You see, that in a way is. If they don't end up bringing Lady Stoneheart into the show at all, then, you know, that I, I, it's not, that's sort of like a reverse of a spoiler, because it sort of lets me, but, I mean, unless that, you know, this is one of those ways in which they're going to, it's going to be a major deviation from the books, but then it makes me wonder, like, you know, what sort of a important impact is she even going to have going forward in the books? Uh, that just makes me think, um, actually, though, if uh, if she's not, brought back in the show which means that like you know that character doesn't exist and it's like okay well then uh what was the point of Beric Dondarrion being on the mm-hmm. show at all and yeah. having yeah. his his resurrection ability and it's like well, well that actually lends John well that yeah yeah exactly I was gonna say that that lends greater credence to thinking that maybe that's gonna have something to do with what plays out with John so yeah I mean I I Again, like I said, I can't remember what other possible ideas I was thinking of at the time, but does that, do, do any of you have any other ideas for how John might come back besides that? Like I said, just uh, I think he's a Zora High reborn. Yeah, so so Chris, I mean, so so theory one basically is that Melisandre is going to bring him back the way that yeah. Thoros of Myrrh brings back people. Yeah. And then, Doug, what's your theory? like? Uh, well, I mean, like, Melisandre was the one that told, I believe, I believe she's the one that told the story of Azor High, and that how he would come back. And I guess he's the one that's, you know, she thinks that Stannis Baratheon is, you know, Azor High, but it's, uh, I think it's really Jon Snow. Now, how that, you know, how that all comes about, and then he's raised, literally raised from the dead if he's, you know, truly and fully dead, I'm not sure. But I think the link that leads oh, okay. to Jon coming you know rising again is this is azora high you know there's even clues that are planted like in book five about you know like uh, melisandre trying to like figure certain things out and she's like you know i asked my lord for this and all he shows me is snow and you know i guess the reader's supposed to think like the falling snow but that is you know that's actually an allusion to john snow although doug i heard the ultimate fake out fan theory on that so you're supposed to think it's Jon Snow, but actually, Ramsey Snow. Oh. <laughs> um, I don't like that theory. One <laughs> iota. <laughs> but I mean, it's. I think it's pretty clear at this point that Stannis is not Azora High reborn, and oh, that yeah, Melisandre no is misinterpreting some of these prophecies. So then it begs the question: Who is Azora High reborn? Uh, you know, I guess. There's probably some fan theories out there that maybe it's Dany, because who says that a uh, you know a Zora High reborn can't be reborn as a woman? But mm-hmm. I'm going with John because I, I just feel like all the clues are there. I think it's going to be 
It's going to be Chrissy Snow from Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, there, there are fan theories out, out there that every character in Song of Ice and Fire is a Zora High Reborn. <laughs> like, literally, like, down to, like, Patchface and Hodor and freaking... <laughs> Uh, actually, speaking of Hodor, though, it was interesting. Uh, you know, George did a Q&A with Laura Miller at the 92nd Street Y uh, last fall, and somebody asked something about Hodor. You're like, is there going to be some significant... Oh, they asked, why is Hodor called Hodor? <laughs> and and George said, um, keep reading. Hmm. Like, oh. you know, suggesting yeah, that... I'm wondering if someone has actually cracked that, ri- that mystery yet, because it is said in the books that's not his name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why does he always say it? Dave, have you seen like any like theor- no, good I- theory online on this I- one? <laughs> uh, no, I-, I haven't seen any good good theories. I haven't really seen any theories at all. But uh, you know, in terms of like that would actually explain it, you know, in reference to something that we read earlier or something like that. Uh, no, I don't know. It's it's an intriguing mystery. Maybe Hordo's a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes together now. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. So, shall we uh, wrap things up there? And that was our panel. So a big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Douglas Cohen, Chris Avasco, and Andrea Kale for joining us on the show. Big thanks as well to everyone who's given us five stars on iTunes, including Chazel McBee, who writes, Brilliant, and still raising the bar. And then bar is spelled B-A-R-R. Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is not only consistently entertaining, it's full of insight into the science fiction and fantasy community. I listen to each episode expecting to learn something I didn't know, and am never disappointed. I finally decided to write a review after listening to the interview with Kazuo Ishiguro, which is the best episode I've heard yet. As a fan of fantasy in particular, it sold me completely on trying The Buried Giant. As a published author of speculative and literary fiction, it thrilled me to hear an intelligent, open-minded discussion of the lingering, if lessening, bias against science fiction and fantasy. As a listener, the interview left me loving this podcast even more, and looking forward to future goodness. David Barr Curley has always been an excellent co-host and now host, but this interview was the best yet. Keep up the great work. So, big thanks again to Chazel McBee for that great review. I'd also like to thank everyone who signed up this week to support us on Patreon, including Gavin Rice, Sandra Johnson, Christine Garcia, Senathis, Steve Ledger, and Karen Paik. We also just got a huge boost this week when Bambacher, who was our eighth Patreon patron, increased his pledge to $20 per episode. So a very special thank you to Bambacher for that massive support. That brings our total up to $234.39 per episode. And remember that if we reach $250 per episode, that'll guarantee that the show continues through the end of 2015. So now we just need about another $16 worth of weekly pledges, and we'll be able to announce that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy will be continuing all year long. So that would be about another 30 or so new episodes guaranteed. So if that's something you'd like to see, please head on over to patreon.com geeks and sign up. So that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot geeks. And if you'd prefer to make a one-time or fixed monthly contribution, you can do that over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And so I'd like to give a very special thank you to Conrad Pino, Iris Manhold, and Elizabeth Stewart, who all just made very generous contributions to the show. So big thanks again to everyone who contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. 
So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.